big idea, Jesus' grace never lacked truth, and his truth never lacked grace. Our weekly identity statements, I am a person of gracious truth and truthful grace. And our memory verse, Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 45, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Agents of Grace As we wrap up this week on grace and truth, we need to turn our attention to the practical way grace and truth work out in the life of the believer. There are many ways, and and we won't be able to cover them all, but there are three we should highlight. First, we need to see forgiveness as crucial to being a part of the body of Christ. C.S. Lewis said, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. In Matthew 18.21 we read, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but seventy-seven times. After this, Jesus launches into the parable of the unmerciful servant. In that parable, it speaks of a man who was forgiven of an irreconcilable debt he owed the king, who then goes out and doesn't forgive a much smaller debt owed to him. Forgiveness is a requirement for kingdom living. Jesus, by adding this number, was nearly taking the culturally accepted three times and ridiculing it. Peter thought he was being generous by saying seven times. No, Peter, not seven times, 70 times, seven times. In other words, always one more time. Why? Because of grace. We have been forgiven of an irreconcilable debt. How could we possibly refuse to forgive a brother or sister who sins against us? After Jesus taught on prayer, he re-emphasized forgiveness. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. Why would he do that? Could it be that our refusal to forgive the brother we can see literally creates distance in our relationship with the Father whom we can't see? The refusal to forgive puts our own salvation in jeopardy. As if we didn't have enough reasons, we have one more in Jesus himself. Luke chapter 23, verse 33. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. There on the cross, while Jesus was receiving the entirety of God's wrath for sins we had committed, he sees what the people are doing to him and intercedes for them. Father, forgive them. If Jesus can forgive his executioners in the midst of his execution, we can forgive one another and live in unity. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey says, The more I reflect on Jesus' parables, the more tempted I am to reclaim the word atrocious to describe the mathematics of the gospel. I believe Jesus gave us these stories about grace in order to call us to step completely outside our tit-for-tat world of ungrace and enter into God's realm of infinite grace. Second, another way we put God's grace on display in our lives is through weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8-10 through 10, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, 
But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. We don't expose non-believers to God's grace by parading our own abilities, strength, and stamina before them. We should not have the facade of togetherness when going through difficult seasons. Unfortunately, in our Facebook world of appearances, Christ followers have also fallen into the appearances trap. We think we must always show how together we are. And we fear that if we show any sign of weakness, that will give some kind of testimony against God. But that is not the case at all, at least not according to Paul. Paul is sharing his struggle with the Corinthian church. He's saying, I begged God to take this away from me, but his responses to my plea was grace. Why grace? Well, just like we talked about yesterday, God's grace is to display God. It is to, through our life and transformation, display his power to the world and the unseen spiritual powers around us. When we suffer, God will show himself through our suffering. He will display his power to a non-believing world. His power is made perfect in weakness because we're not trying to do it, get through it, bear it on our own strength. We're relying on him. And lastly, generosity. And no, I'm not just speaking about giving to the church. I'm not even speaking only about money. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He is distributed freely. He has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Paul was writing to talk about the offering the Corinthian church was supposed to be giving. And right there in the midst of his appeal to generosity, Paul throws in the word grace. It almost feels like a manipulation, like like Paul is trying to use grace to get us to give more money. But that's not the case. When you read the whole letter, you get a different picture. We've read quite a bit from 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The the ministry of reconciliation and, and Jesus becoming our sin representative. That's the foundation for his teaching right here on generosity. This isn't about guilt trips or compulsion. This is about grace. It's about seeing the newness that God has done in your heart and then deciding in that same environment to give generously and cheerfully. That word cheerfully means to laugh uncontrollably. It's LOL giving. It's an I can't believe I'm giving this much kind of a laugh. It's that cheer that comes from recognize you're giving more than you ever thought you would and it still doesn't feel like enough. And we do this because of grace. Because just like with weakness, God wants to display his power in every area of our lives. 
He wants to show that he is the God who provides. He is the one who distributes and feeds. He is the one who provides the seeds for the crops. And when we plant what he gives us, it too comes to life just like we come to life. And it produces a harvest of righteousness in us. So, grace is about displaying God in our lives. What better way to do that with believers and non-believers alike than to show generosity when you have the opportunity? With finances or time or resources, with knowledge, wisdom, or with counsel, equipping, and so on. These are just some of the ways we can be agents of grace in a tit-for-tat world. Our daily scripture focus is 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8-10. through 10. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. As we wrap up, I encourage you to take a few minutes to think and pray through a few things. First, conceptualize. Imagine yourself going through two situations, one being the most difficult thing and one being the most successful. Imagine how you would feel during the hardship. And now, imagine how you would feel during the good time. Second, reflect. Think about how God's grace is on display in your life. Have others seen God give you the strength to get through something difficult? Have others seen you give God all the credit for the blessings? Third, repent. See yourself choosing to turn away from putting on appearances or to try to show you've got it all together. Also see yourself turning away from the temptation to take the credit for the good things. Now see yourself in all things and at all times giving God credit and glory as well as giving you the strength to handle it all. And lastly, thank God. Thank God for his example of generosity and being generous and giving us his grace. Thank God for all the ways he has provided for you. And thank God for what he does in you through the difficult seasons and how he displays his grace and power through you. 